God is our constant in a world that changes so quickly. Uh, I remember years ago, I don't remember where I read this, but they asked this guy, he had just turned 100 years old, and they said, I guess in your lifetime you've seen a lot of change. He said, oh yeah. He said, well, what do you think of him? He said, I didn't like him. And there's a part of us, we, we get comfortable. And we like to be comfortable because there's security. But the truth of the matter is, there's not much that doesn't change. There's God. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. There's his word. And there's the fact of eternity. And we're part of that. Um, well, let's, uh, let's look at our text in Romans 8 this morning as we work our way down in the book of Romans. What an incredible truths there are in God's word and today we're going to hit that verse that so many of us have quoted and are familiar with Romans eight twenty eight, as we talk about the providence of God uh, for our text reading at eight twenty six through verse 30 I want to ask you as is our practice to stand in God's honor as I read from his word in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, To be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined he also called. Those he called he also justified. Those he justified he also glorified. Let's pray. Master here we are. I thank you for bringing us together Lord. You have a purpose for each of us here. I pray, Father, that as we continue to worship and seek you in this time allotted, Father, that you might just continue to speak to us. Um, You know, as I prayed earlier this morning, you don't need any of us, Father. In your mercy, you allow us to serve you. And I have prayed that through Sunday school and the worship hour and every person here and part of it, that you might just move among us and through us to the glory of God and I pray in this message, Lord, that it would be obvious the Holy Spirit's here and speaking. Because if I speak, big deal. But if the Holy Spirit speaks, we learn what matters. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to us. And thank you for an opportunity to be together and hear your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to just backtrack a little bit in Romans 8 and verse 22. We read, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You you see, when God created the earth and as it was formed, as we see in the first two chapters of Genesis, it was, man, things were as they were meant to be. There there was harmony with God and and, and there was harmony with creation. But then sin entered the picture and, and There was pain brought into creation. Creation was hurt, was wounded, was marred. And so the creation itself groans. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. 
as in the pains of childbirth. Why? Because creation itself wants to be healed. Wants to know the healing to be brought back into proper relationship as it was at the start of creation. And then it goes on the next verse and it says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the fruit, first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So as, as part of that creation has sin entered the picture, we too, through Jesus Christ, we long for for everything to be healed, for everything to be whole, for everything to be made right through the work of Jesus Christ. And, and that time will come. As, as Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as that rightful throne and, and, and the time of healing will, will occur. And let's just face it, as, as we look at this scripture today, uh, we're a hurt people. We all have hurts. We all have groans inside of us. And, and we all have this feeling, there's something. I suspect there's something in your life and you think, God, I desperately need an answer to prayer. God, I desperately need healing in this area. God, this problem, it's keeping me up at night or, or it's, it, I just, it, it just seems impossible. But praise be to God. I, I love that in Mark 10, verse 27. Jesus talking. He said, with man, it's impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, too often we want to make God like one of us. And, and God is not like one of us. God is far more than we can even comprehend or imagine. He's God. He's in control. Listen to this quote from A.W. Tozer. This is from his book, Knowledge of the Holy. God perfectly knows himself and being the source and author of all things that follows that he knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. In other words, there's nothing beyond God. He's God. So God doesn't discover anything. He's never surprised. He's never amazed. There's nothing that he goes, oh, I wonder what that means. <laughs> That's not God. He doesn't seek out information. He doesn't ask questions because he's all knowing. You see, every secret sin on earth, every question that we can't fathom, that we can't possibly answer is open knowledge in heaven because God is all knowing. And, and God is all powerful. That is our God. I, I love the story. Maybe you heard it of the Christian school and. For on the table to begin with, there was this uh, big plate of apples. And there was a note on the plate of apples that says, Take only one. God is watching. And one of the students had written on this big plate of cookies that was on the other end of the table, Take all the cookies you want. God is watching the apples. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, man, God's not limited by just watching one thing. That's not God. God, God, he, he, he sees it all. He, he knows it all. And thanks be to God as we learn about him. He's a God who loves us. And as we see today, he's a God who, who has our best at heart. Um, let's look as we march down here through the scripture. In verses 24 and 25, he talks about the hope. For now we're groaning, but we move toward glory. 
And, and then he says, we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. And then in verses 26 and 27, he says that the spirit helps us in our weakness. We're weak in, in these groans, these things that seem impossible to us that cannot be conquered. God steps in and he prays when we can't pray. Notice what it says. Uh, verse 26, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us. The spirit prays when we can't. And it says that he who searches our hearts it knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will, with a holy groan and moan, that deep sigh of, God, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. God, I don't understand this. God, I don't know. And so we come to that verse 28 that so often has been a, a part of of what we quote. And we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. We take just a moment. And, you know at the risk of seeming too obvious. And just break it down. You know sometimes we read it so much that we. Don't really see it. He starts here he says. Uh, and we know. Isn't it great it. Paul doesn't say, and we wish, or we hope, or, or you know, we, we, we have a dream. No, he, he doesn't say any of that. Or, or maybe later on, he says, we know. There, there is a, a, a confidence that is expressed there. Um, there, there is a, a confidence that, that looks to the fact that we can trust God. Completely it is a knowledge that's that's based in God himself. That's a secure type of knowledge that we have. Um, we don't like not understanding our inadequacies often end up in attack on God just because we don't understand doesn't limit God doesn't mean that God is any smaller or any weaker. It is simply that we don't see the full picture. You see, the truth of the matter is. We see the immediate, but God sees the ultimate. God sees the big picture where we see just a short time frame. We don't have the whole picture. So what we know is an absolute unshakable confidence because it's in God. Now, notice the next part is God is active. It says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. It's God's work. It's not my job. Philippians 1 verse 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't fix anyone. Man, I can't even fix myself. But it says that God is working. Sometimes it appears certainly behind the scenes because we can't grasp it. But we know, and I love that little term, all things. Not some things, not a few things, all things. God's at work. God has a plan. Um, Let's look at Jeremiah 18. So I want to look at an analogy here that he gives through the prophet Jeremiah. That describes the fact of God, the master potter at work in us clay pots. <laughs> Starting there in Jeremiah 18, it says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. Uh, in that day, I'll. 
although you, know, you don't see a lot of potter's houses around here today. You see some places where they make pottery, but that was a common scene in Jeremiah's day. They didn't have bags and boxes to carry things in. They used pots. And it was a normal part of the community where people would frequently visit the potter's house and, and, and they would get pots to use um, in order to carry things and in order to store things. And, and so that was a, a normal part of life. And, and, and so God was asking Jeremiah to go to somewhere familiar, not unfamiliar, in order to reveal himself. It says, uh, verse 3, So I went down the potter's house, I saw him working, at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another part, shaping it into as, as seemed best to him. Uh, a couple of things here is I, I found an article that talked about the shaping of uh, in the potter's house of the clay pots. They would find the red clay, but they didn't just immediately take the clay and the potter start working. But there was a time element. The clay had to be prepared. It was exposed to the sun, to the rain, to the frost. And, and the impurities were, were burned out or froze out, removed from the clay. The clay had to be properly prepared in that way. If the impurities weren't remo removed, it, it would not hold on the potter's wheel. Um, secondly, not only that, but water was added so that the potter would then pound all the air out of the clay with his feet until it became prepared to be used on the potter's wheel. And it had to be consistent. It could not be hard and dry, too hard and dry, and it could not be too moist. It had to be of the right consistency. So there was a preparation in order to make the pot, to take the clay and, and to form the pot in the potter's house that the master potter used. Occasionally he would mix it with limestone so that it could be used to cook in and to be used for a specific purpose. And, and as we read on here, as, as, as God speaks to Jeremiah and, and he talks about being in the potter's house. He goes on and he makes a connection and, and he says, um, verse 11, Now therefore say the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. He he, and he talks up in verse 6, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. He's making connection here where he's saying, this is you. You are formed in my hand. You are the clay pot. And isn't it interesting? In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the analogy here is a picture not merely of a clay pot, but of our bodies made from the dust of the earth. That we are as clay and we're in the hand of the master potter as he forms us, as he as he works in us, as he does his job. Listen, this is Isaiah 64, verse eight. It says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You're the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Notice in verse 4, as he started the work, as he was shaping the clay on the wheel, it was marred in his hands. I'm grateful with the response of the potter here. I mean, what did he do? Did he kick the wheel and said, you stupid clay, you didn't cooperate? No, he didn't do that. Did he toss the clay in the trash and said, "Now nah, I need to go buy some new clay. I need to start over. No, he, he took the clay that was marred and he reshaped it so that it was usable in his hand. That's what God does with us. I mean, 
we're marred because of sin and 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 he takes us and and he redeems us and and he reshapes us and and there's a groan while we wait for glory and we all know what that's like we all, all experience that groan although it may be expressed in different ways it's that groan as as we long for the glory to come as as we wait for him to work what happens why is the clay marred um well, in verses 11 through 12 it says uh, now therefore say the people of Judah and those in Jerusalem this is what the Lord says. I'm preparing a disaster for you, devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Sometimes the clay is marred because we've made choices and decisions outside of God's plan. And that's result to us being wounded. It, it's, it's resulted to pain. It, it, it's, it's resulted in us being distant in our walk with God. It's, it's not what he ever intended. It's not what he meant. But, but sometimes that happens with us, God's clay. And secondly, sometimes it happens not from the choices we've made, but just from the circumstances that we've been in. There are so many people broken and hurt, maybe because of a type of abuse when they were younger, um, sexual abuse or neglect or, or, or you know, the list can just... The list can just go on and on from the types of pain that that people have experienced, how they've been marred, maybe by verbal attacks or, 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 you know, we can go on and on with the list. But we're marred. But God is at work. God, God is God, God is working. Um, he takes it all. It says God works for the good of all things. It, it doesn't mean that all things are good. It means that he brings good in all things. In all things, the people who love God, he, he's got a plan. He's doing a work, although we can't comprehend, although we don't understand it. We know that the master potter loves us. And in the end, there's a purpose for what seems like just, this is nuts, God. <laughs> Verse 29, he does give us a little bit of glimpse. Let's go back to Romans 8 of that work. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, those for those God foreknew, God, he's not, man, he's not trapped in time like we are. He foreknew all things. And, and he had a plan, the predestined. And what is that great plan? That we might be like Jesus. John Stott said it this way. In the simplest possible terms, God's purpose for his people is that they become like Jesus. Many things we can't be absolutely confident of, but that's one thing we can be. Our Father wants us to look like Jesus. He's, he's working to make us like His Son. That's, that's His heartbeat. <laughs> that's what He's about. He wants to make us like Jesus. And, and when it says to make us one, we talked about in Sunday school, that's part of His work. Is as we come together to look like Jesus, it's not that we're cookie cutters of one another, but it means we have the same heartbeat. And, and, and that's the heartbeat that's in agreement with Jesus Christ. And in agreement with what he wants. And, 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 and what he's at. There's a story about a sculptor who was asked how he could sculpt a lion's head from a large stone. <laughs> he said, easy, I chip away everything that does not look like a lion's head. And as God is doing his work, he chips away what does not fit into looking like Jesus in our lives. He foreknews, he predestines, he justifies, and ultimately he glorifies for that purpose of chipping away until in eternity we're what we're meant to be. That's the blood and guts of, of life that 
God's in complete control and at work. Too often, as I said earlier, we make God just a little bigger than we are, but like us. Listen to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Uh, let me turn there. Sometimes I look in here in my notes, but I, I like to hear Bible pages turning for those people that have Bibles, and I think it's a good thing for us to read from the text when we can. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God, His thoughts, His ways, they're beyond us. He's, he's not just a bigger version of us. Our lack of understanding doesn't somehow make God smaller. He's God. And, and just because we have questions about His Word or we have questions about His creation, as we, by the way, we had, uh, were able to stream the debate here, and uh, it, that was a blessing to be able to, to come and see um, Ken Ham and Bill Nye in the debate. But as, as we trust God and as we have our questions, one day we'll have the answers. One day, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we know in part, then we shall know fully. Even as I'm fully known. One day, man, it'll, it'll be, we'll know. We may right because we'll be like him. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But there are those now, because they don't understand, because they don't see the picture, they just want to deny God. God's not here. If God was here, he would answer my questions. If God was here, he would fix things because things aren't right. But the truth of the matter is, for now, we're in the groan. One day we will be in the glory. But for now we're in the ground. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It says, hey, set your heart apart for Jesus. To be conformed to look like Jesus in His likeness. The likeness of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And, and as we do that, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, then be prepared to give an answer, not as a know-it-all, but as one who has walked with God. Humbly to share. And the last part of that verse, I think I didn't even quote it, the last part of the verse says, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's critical. It's not about, you know, we're not going to be in heaven one day and, and you know, looking down and say, I told you so, nah, 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 nah. That's not the point at all. The point is, God loves people and He loves us. And the biggest tragedy of all is to miss that. And for people to, to miss that. I, I close with this story. Um, this is a, um, a story from Pastor John Ortberg. I'm just going to read this from his book. Um, the battle over the existence of God is waged no longer exclusively on college campuses and theological seminaries. It's moved to street level. Ordinary people are buying the lie that there's no one in the cosmos that sees, knows, or cares for them. It isn't enough for God's people to debate it only in Sunday school class. We have to have an answer for anyone that asked us why we believe. And then he says, A woman I know named Cheryl went to a salon to have her nails manicured. As the beautician began to work, they began to have a good conversation about many subjects. When they eventually touched on God, the beautician said, I don't believe God exists. Why do you say that? Asked Cheryl, who has MS. Well, you just have to go out on the street to realize God doesn't exist. 
tell me, if God exists, would there be so many sick people? Would there be abandoned children? If God existed, there would be neither suffering nor pain. I can't imagine loving a God who could allow all these things. Cheryl thought for a moment. She didn't respond because she didn't want to start an argument. We've all been there. The beautician finished her job and Cheryl left the shop. Just after she left the beauty shop, she saw a woman in the street with long, stringy, dirty hair. She looked filthy and unkempt. Cheryl turned, entered the beauty shop again and said to the beautician, You know what? Beauticians do not exist. How can you say that? asked the surprised beautician. I'm here. I just worked on you. I exist. No, Cheryl exclaimed, beauticians do not exist. Because if they did, there would be no people with dirty long hair and appearing very unkempt like that woman outside. Ah, but beauticians do exist, she answered. The problem is, people do not come to me. To which Cheryl said exactly. Let's pray. So, Lord, uh, you know all about us. We know what we look like on the outside. and I can see the different people here and, and know that part, but I can't see the heart, Lord. But you do. And we're hurt in different ways, Lord. But we come to you, Father, needing to be reminded that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, Father, I pray this morning um, that starts first with bowing to you and saying, God, I, I, I need help. I'm not big enough to figure it all out, Lord. I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven. I need a new start. And so for that, Lord, we ask that you speak to hearts. Maybe there's someone here and for whatever reason, they've just never heard or grasped that that's your love, Lord. That's who you are. And that's what you have accomplished in order to deal with this sin issue of the heart. You sent a Savior to die for us and to give us new life and a new start and complete forgiveness. And we always want to offer that, Lord. And so I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted you for forgiveness, that this might be the time to stop and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on Calvary for a reason. And that was to give me a new start and forgiveness and hope. So enter my life. So I pray, Father, for anyone that has prayed that, their own words and to be exactly like that, but the heart of it. Father, may they know that forgiveness. And Father, for the rest of us who are, Father, just bitter because we don't understand how you're working in all things for good. We feel like you've, abandoned us or somehow you've cheated us. Lord, we see the immediate, but we don't see the ultimate. Right now we're in the groan. We're not yet at the glory. But Father, there's no better place to be than near you because you do love us. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show that to all of us today. Um, just speak to us. And this time we call invitation. Um, Father, those that need to come to the altar, bring them to the altar to pray. Those that need to come to share something with the church family, may they just do that, Lord, in obedience. Or even just to pray, I'll be at the front. And Father, we, we just want to do business with you. I thank you for a chance, Lord, to 
be reminded that you are in control, God, and that you love us, and so we can trust you even when we don't get it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.